Bless you guys. Merry Christmas almost. Whoa! 
and stand up. Good morning. Here we go. Sing of our joy coming to this world, making us whole. Sing that. Joy to the world, the Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, we come to this place to honor you, to be mindful of this um, Christmas season, this Advent season that we enter in, uh, being, uh, being mindful that you came in the form of a baby and uh, you uh, had this shadow behind the manger of a cross. 
Um, so um, we know why you came. And the reason uh, you did all this for us was because uh, so you could live a life that we could emulate and die a death that really should have been ours uh, to pay for our own consequences of not obeying the Father all the time. And yet uh, you made a way to say uh, we didn't have to do it. Uh, Jesus would do it. So unspeakable joy rises in our soul for that. And uh, may we live a life continually that um, has an unspeakable joy. Maybe we can be like um, living out the words of prayer, uh, the prayer of uh, St. Francis of Assisi that said, uh, preach the gospel to all the world and if necessary, use words. Help us to be a people who are just uh, overwhelmed by you so much that we are moved into action and then words next. So, uh, Lord, we love you. Thank you for a great perspective changer from just coming in from maybe a busyness of the morning and all kinds of stuff going on. And so draw us in, draw us in, Lord, deeper and deeper. Today we pray in your name. Amen. God bless you, friends. Hey, while you're standing, uh, take a second, just say hi to somebody around you. We'll see you back in a minute. Thanks. You can go ahead and have a seat. Hey, good morning. Well, it is great to be here as we kick off the Christmas season here at Hopevale. I'm Dan Davis, the senior pastor, and I hope walking through these doors and seeing the decorations coming into this space and singing these songs of worship are already drawing your heart toward the manger and towards our Savior, Jesus Christ. So let me tell you a little bit about Christmas at Hopevale. So over these next four Sundays, through December 16th, we have a Christmas series called Heaven on Earth. Pastor Sam's going to kick things off this morning. And then the following weekend, we're going to have our Christmas services, five in total, uh, two on Sunday night, December 23rd at 5 and 7 p.m., and three more on the 24th, Christmas Eve, Monday, 1, 3, and 5 p.m. They are identical services, an hour long with children's programming from birth to pre-K at all five. We typically open the doors about a half hour before each service, and those ones on the 24th will be very full. So begin to make your plans for that. Also, we will not have morning services on the 23rd, so take note of that. Hey, a couple things I want you to know just in the life of our church, some tra changes and transitions. First of all, out in the lobby in the space adjacent where we house our library resources, after this Sunday, we're going to be transitioning that space and taking many of our library resources to our ministry center on Shattuck Road, and we're going to reboot the library there, a 2.0 version, in the new year and make many of our library resources available there to kids and families during the week. So we're looking forward to that change. In the meanwhile, we're going to close that space for the month of December, renovate it a bit, and then open it up as an additional much-needed pre- and post-service ministry space, both for newcomers and long-timers for things like connection and conversation and discussion and prayer, and so we're looking forward to that happening after the new year as well, but over these next several Sundays, as you see some activity there, you'll know what's going on. Today is also a day when we want to say thank you and farewell to Jenny Holiday. Jenny is our nursery and preschool director and has faithfully served on the staff of Hopevale for the last 15 years, in addition to that, 
volunteered uh, many more and just serving and ministering to the young children and families of our church. Jenny has such a caring spirit for kids and a love for Jesus and has truly made an impact on children and families for generations. And so as a way of saying thank you to Jenny, we're encouraging all families who've been touched by our ministry to share a note of appreciation and thanks. And in our kids' area, just off to my left, we have a collection box that we're going to collect those cards in and present those to Jenny as a way to honor her. So I just want to nudge you, encourage you to do that. If you can't do it this Sunday, we'll have that opportunity available for you next Sunday as well. So thankful for Jenny and her ministry here. And as we continue to worship, I'm going to ask that our ushers come forward as we take up the offering. And we really do want to use this as a time of worship. It was awesome talking to you guys the last couple weeks just about generosity and about being a church of contagious generosity, extending to others in response to the grace that Jesus has poured out to us. And I'm thankful that you are a generous church and that you truly capture the spirit of Jesus Christ who came into this world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So in the spirit of Jesus, let's bow our heads and pray together. And God, thank you. Thank you that heaven broke through. Thank you that Jesus came. Thank you that Christmas is so much more than just a seasonal celebration. And while we love the festive mood and all the uh, seasonal trappings, we're even more grateful for what this holiday represents. The Word became flesh. And Jesus made his dwelling among us. The one who came from the Father. The one full of glory. The one full of grace and truth. And Jesus, you are the one we worship this day. And so even in our time together, may the distractions melt away. May the busyness of Thanksgiving and Black Friday and everything else swirling around us just be set aside so that we can meet with you and hear from you. Some of us, Lord, need a deep injection of hope this day. Would you give that by your Holy Spirit? And for all of us, may you just direct our hearts, our eyes upward, as we come to worship Jesus, the newborn King, the saving King, the conquering King, the returning King. And God, as we give you these gifts now, we do it out of an overflow of gratitude for your unlimited, unending generosity towards us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Dan prayed that um, maybe there's some of us here that really need an injection of the presence and the spirit of the Lord. I'd venture to say that's every one of us. Um, Whether we're going through a really tough time or everything's just We've been singing this song uh, for the last probably a couple months now. Um, let's join together in praying that God would meet us here again. Take us in, Aaron. Just remain seated for a few moments and we'll get you up.
God, here we are uh, coming to this place at church again to meet with you, to meet with you in joy and celebration of all you've done and in anticipation of what you will do and um, a meditation in the quiet where uh, we're mindful of all you've done and all that uh, we've not deserved. And so speak today, we pray. We gather to say, God, can we hear from you? We gather to say, God, would you touch down? Would you come down to earth and speak? You already have, and we have a great book to follow of so many of the words that you've said and the ways that you've moved through the lives of your children. And so God, as Pastor Sam prepares to come, we pray that you'd bless him um, in his words to us as he talks about that book. And he, as he talks about some of his experiences and we hear some encouragements to try to really open our heart for what Christmas really means. We love you, Lord. It's in your name. Amen. God bless you, friends. Have a seat. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Sam. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Um, it's good to be with you all on this Thanksgiving weekend. I just want to do a quick survey Um, How many of you are just non-traditionalists when it comes to Thanksgiving? Like you don't do turkey for Thanksgiving. Is there anybody who doesn't do turkey for Thanksgiving? You all are the brave ones. Like it's amazing, you know? Um, uh, Thanksgiving is about food. It's about being thankful for what God has blessed you with. It's also um, about family, right? And uh, being thankful for family. Um, And that's true about the Burke household too. We had our family come into town. Um, there were 10 of them who came into town with us, and they all stayed in a house that's built for five. Um, so, yeah, great, great time shoving 15 people in a, a house that's really not big enough for it. And uh, to complicate things, they're all from Ohio. Um, so, <laughs> yesterday was an interesting day. Um, they were happy. Um, we went out in public. Um, 
we went to uh, Bronner's in Frankenmuth, and they stood next to the Ohio State um, stuff there, and were watching the game and cheering, and they kept wondering why people were looking at them funny. Um, I told everyone, I'm like, you're in enemy territory here, so uh, anyway. So uh, yeah, it's been an awesome time in the Burke household for Thanksgiving. Um, so happy Thanksgiving to everybody, but Merry Christmas. We're, we're now in that season, so we're excited about that. Uh, we want to say a special welcome to those of you worshiping with us in Bay City. We are one church in two locations, and it's so exciting to be here in Saginaw and worshiping in Bay City. I know that they are cheering as soon as, you know, if you've ever get a chance to go out there, it's amazing. Every time one of us pastors says, welcome to the Bay City crew, they all cheer, they scream, they go crazy, um, because it is God's hand working in that location. It's so exciting to see that happening, and so it is exciting to be worshiping both here in Saginaw and in Bay City as one big church family called Hope Vale. So yeah, love it. Um, we are starting a new series today called Heaven on Earth. And as you guessed, um, it's all about that first Christmas when heaven came to earth wrapped in cloths and was laid in a manger. And it is going to be an awesome series. And I hope you can make it for every single one of these next four weeks. Uh, but I want to caution us about something right here at the beginning of this series because I think one of, the, one of the dangers of this season or of a series like this is that we can tend to come to these kind of things and think things like this, you know, oh, I know this story, I've got it down, it's the same old, same old, you know, I mean, how many, time, how many ways can you tell the same story for 2,000 years? Um, so yeah, it's about a baby, a manger, about shepherds, about angels, all that stuff. And we, we kind of have the story down, right? But I want to challenge you to think about this in a different way, from a different perspective. Because I, I think this series not only has the potential to stretch your mind in how you think about Christmas, but I think that this series has the potential to stretch your heart on how you live out Christmas, this series has that potential to stretch your heart in how you can live out Christmas on a daily basis. So the question before us is this, will you allow it? Will you allow God to use the things that we're going to talk about to stretch your heart this Christmas season? About how you think about God, how God interacts with you, and how you think about others this Christmas. And so there's the challenge set before us. What does God want to do in our hearts and our minds to live out Christmas a little different this season? Now, I don't know about you, but I absolutely love the Christmas season. I, I love it. Every year I get the opportunity to preach up here during Christmas, and I think I've said that almost every single year because it's so true. I, I love the, um, the Christmas movies. I mean, they are some of my favorite movies. I'll go back to them. Elf, I mean, I love that movie. <laughs> um, a Christmas Story, it's probably like my favorite one, Ralphie and the Gun. I, 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 I'm not going to talk about it. I talked about that last year. Um, but I love the movies. I love the lights. I love the decorations. I love the food. I love the atmosphere. But I really love the Christmas music. I absolutely love the Christmas music. And more than just like listening to the Christmas music, I love to play Christmas music on my guitar. I'm a guitar player. And so I will... I'll often during the Christmas season, even back, even in July, I'll just kind of play it, you know, because it's fun. I don't know. I'll grab my electric guitar and I'll start playing it and I'll pretend like I'm in the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, you know, da, na, 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 na. 
Uh, that was Carol of the Bells for those of you who didn't get that. Um, but uh, I absolutely love playing that music. In fact, I was going over my message last night. I was at the ministry center and my guitar stuff is there and I just picked it up and I just started playing. I was like, ah, like, ah, it's so good. I love this music. Um, I absolutely love it. And one of my favorite times I ever got to play Christmas music was back in 2007. The church I was working at um, did a three-night production called Imagine Christmas. And I got to play guitar for it. And I was like, oh, this is so good. And the opening number that we played was a rock version of Carol of the Bells. And I remember practicing and practicing and practicing. And I was the featured guitar player on, on that song. And I did a duet with a guy playing saxophone. And so we back and forth played this song. It was a lot of fun. There was dancers. There was all kinds of stuff in this opening number. And then the rest of the, uh, the whole uh, production was like a ton of different Christmas music. And, you know, so we, we, it was a lot of fun. We practiced and practiced and we rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. And the day of the performance, the opening night, we did a two-hour rehearsal. And they told me it's going to be a complete run-through. And so I had done plays and productions before, so I had in my mind what a complete run-through was supposed to look like. So I showed up with my guitar. We did the entire first number, played the whole thing. And then they're like, all right, let's do the rest of it. And there was skits and all kinds of stuff in the middle of it. And then we would get to the songs, and we would start playing. And about 15 to 20 seconds into the song, the, the production manager was like, all right, we're done. We're good. And I was like, now, all of my fun guitar stuff was on the back end of all of these songs. And so I was kind of like... I don't even get to play my favorite parts of this song. And so we got done with that for the first song that happened. And then the second song, same thing, 15, 20 seconds. They're like, all right, you're good. And I just didn't get it. And I leaned over to one of my friends playing drums and I said, why do we keep only playing like 15 to 20 seconds of these songs? And he said, Sam, this is just the rehearsal. Like we have a full-on performance tonight. The vocalists can't waste their best energy and their best vocals in practice. In a rehearsal, they got to save it for then. Now, as a guitar player, this made no sense to me whatsoever. I was like, I can play my guitar for like 40 hours straight. Like, I'm good. Like, and the more I play, the better I get. And I, it's, I'm not really a singer like that, so I don't know all of that. So as a guitar player, this made no sense to me whatsoever. But I began to think of it in a different way. I began to think of it as a basketball player. I played basketball from seven years old all the way up through, you know, halfway through my college life. And uh, I remember my coaches telling me, save it for the game. Maybe Michigan's coaches should have told him that yesterday too. But um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm not actually from Michigan originally, so I'd have no dog in the fight. But um, save it for the game. Like, you don't do your best stuff in the warm-ups. Like he would say, don't shoot all your best shots in warm-ups. And I was like, okay, yeah, save some for the game. Uh, don't go 100% in warm-ups. And so as a basketball player, that began to register to me like, oh, I get it. You know, the rehearsal is important, right? The practice is important. The warm-ups are important. But you have to keep in perspective what they actually are. They, they're like the lead-up to the main thing. They're not the main thing. They're, they're there to prepare you for the main thing. Now, you may be thinking to yourself this morning as I'm talking, you're thinking, Sam, what in the world does this have to do with Christmas? <laughs> like, this makes no sense to me. Um, and if you are asking that question, that is a great question, and I'm glad you asked it. Um, because if you were to look in the beginning of the story of Jesus' life, because that's what we're going to be focusing on the next few weeks, right? The story, the beginning story of Jesus' life. If you were to look at that, especially in Luke's account, 
Okay, so the, the stories of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament, two of them have um, detailed birth accounts, Matthew and Luke. Luke's has the most detailed. If you were to look at the story of Jesus' life, especially the beginning uh, of Luke's account, you would find something rather odd in the beginning of that story. Normally, like if you were to pick up a biography of somebody and you were to read at the beginning of it and go, okay, this is about this person. Normally there would be maybe a story about their parents or a story about their birth or some events leading up to their birth. And that's a normal part of the biography. Um, And you would go, okay, that makes sense. But when you read Luke's beginning of his story, the beginning starts off with somebody else's story altogether. It would be kind of like this. It would be kind of like if I ever wrote or someone wrote a biography about Sam and it was like the life of Sam Burke. Um, there would be one copy and um, I'm not sure anyone would buy it. But um, if you were to read it and it would say, you know, this is the story of Sam. But first let me tell you about Dylan. You would be like, what? Who is Dylan? And why is Dylan important to this story? It makes no sense. And you would not want to read that story about Dylan. You would want, like this, I, want, I picked up the book to read about Sam, not about Dylan. So when you pick up the book of Luke and you start reading it, it's like, this is the story about Jesus. But first, let me tell you about this other person. Let me tell you about this other family altogether. It might be kind of confusing. And I started thinking about this through the lens of somebody who's never read the Bible before. If they ever picked up the Bible and started to read the book of Luke, they might go, what? why? Why would... Luke, why would you like begin your story and then make a hard left and go way over there and and talk about something that's very disconnected? And here's the, the, the thing. That story, although it may seem very disconnected, it may seem way out of left field. You may think, Luke, why in the world are you telling this story? It's actually this story is very important to the story of Jesus. And it's a story that needs to be told. But oftentimes during Christmas, we don't tell this story. We kind of, or we do tell, but we, we skip over it real fast, or we gloss over it, we talk about it, but we move to the, the main story, right? Because the, that's the one we want to hear. We want to hear the story about the life of Jesus. And the reason that we gloss over it and go fast is because it's not the main story. It's kind of like the rehearsal. It's kind of like the warm-up act. It's the, the thing before the main thing. And so we want to talk about the main thing. But this story and this child that seems out of left field is actually a very important story because this story and this child actually prepared the people for the main story and for the main child. And so what I want to do is I want to take a a look at the birth and the life of a man named John the Baptizer, or maybe some of us would call him John the Baptist. It's it's not a denominational thing. Um, It's more like a job title thing, like that's what he would grow up and do. Uh, But I want to take a look at the story of this guy named John this morning, because Luke thought it was important enough for us to know about it at the very beginning of this story about Jesus. And I think it's going to be important for us to recognize it as well. John's story actually starts out a little different. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures, if you have a physical one or even a digital one, um, you'll find the, begin, the story of John right there at the beginning of Luke and his gospel, Luke chapter 1. And so I want us to take a look together. Let's, let's read this together. Luke chapter 1, we're starting verse 5. It says this, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, 
who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. We can't miss some of these details because they become super important um, big points in this story. Both, both Zechariah and Elizabeth were from the priestly line. They, they knew what it meant to follow God and to obey his laws and to obey his commands. It was, it was as if they were um, pastor's kids, right? They, they grew up in the pastor's home and then they would grow up and, and become a pastor and marry another pastor's kid. So they knew it, like from an early age, they knew exactly what they were supposed to do. They knew what they were, they were supposed to follow God, what that meant and all that. But they not only knew how to do this, but Luke says that they were righteous in the sight of God. They were righteous in the sight of God and, and they kept it blamelessly blamelessly. And so you may be asking, well, why is such a, that such a big deal? Why would Luke put that little detail in there that they, that they knew what they were supposed to do and they did it and they were righteous in the sight of God and they kept it all blamelessly? Why did he, do, why did he put that detail in there? Well, he put that detail in there because of what he says in verse 7. Because he says they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. They were childless and they were old. And this means that they, they haven't been able to conceive or have any children their entire lives and now they're in their old age and you're thinking to yourself, yes, I am, duh, I can read. Um, but this is huge. And I don't want us to miss this. This is huge, especially to women of that day and age because a woman's worth back then was mismeasured by their ability to bear children. A woman's worth was measured, mismeasured, <laughs> in could they have children or not? And if they couldn't have children, their worth was almost nothing. And they were, they were looked at as a disgrace in that culture. It's a very sad reality, but that's how it was. And, you know, hopefully we've grown in the past 2,000 years and realized that the woman's worth is not in childbearing, but that's how they viewed it. And so it was viewed as this public disgrace to Elizabeth. And, and what complicates even more of all of this is that the thinking back then was that God did good to those who obeyed him and he punished those who didn't. That was the thinking. It was this kind of, you know, do good and it will be done good back to you mentality. You know, obey God and be rewarded. Disobey God and he, you'll be punished kind of thinking. It's, it's very old covenant kind of thinking. Okay, it's old covenant kind of thinking where you know, God established it with the nation of Israel. If you obey this, then I'll do this. And it's, that's the whole mindset of everybody, that if I, if I can just do these things, then I'm going to be blessed. It's kind of like this. If I'm careful to, ke to keep all of the commands that God has given me, then I will gain God's blessing on my life. Or, or say it this way, I do, therefore God does. If I can just do these things, then God's going to do this for me. And that was the thinking back then. So you can just imagine Elizabeth, who has lived her entire life trying to do the right thing, blamelessly in front of God, hoping that somehow God is going to bless her, and she's lived her entire life, and she is still childless. That can be viewed very harshly and viewed as a disgrace to her. 
But Luke wanted to help us understand something different. See, I, th- I think a lot of times um, we get, you know, we, we don't understand a little bit of this, what's going on, but back then what they would think is this. They would think, well, if there's some kind of um, irregularity, if there's some kind of difference, if there's some kind of problem in my life, it must be because of sin in my life. Or maybe my parents sinned, and that's the reason why this is happening. In fact, Jesus and his disciples were walking along one day, and they saw a man that was born blind, and Jesus' disciples asked him, okay, so why was this man born blind? Was he born blind because he sinned somehow in the womb, or his parents sinned? And Jesus was like, no, 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 guys, guys, that's so old school thinking. That's so, like, old covenant, that's so different. I want to show you something different, and he showed them something different later on. And a lot of times that was the thinking, but Luke wants to point out something different. He wants to point out something different. Can we go back to verse 7? I want to, want to show you what he pointed out here. Okay? He pointed out that both of them were blameless in how they obeyed God. And both of them were righteous in the sight of God. So what he's trying to tell us this is, it tell us is this, is that their childlessness had nothing to do with God's blessing or, or not blessing them because of their obedience. Something else is going on here. Something else is going on here. And some of you, you may know how this feels a little bit. Maybe for some of you, you experience the blessings of God and, and you attribute that to the fact that, man, I have been doing the right thing. I've been doing good. And so God has been blessing me. And you have that kind of a thinking. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you've gone your whole life trying to do the right thing, trying to be good, hoping, you know, for God, hoping that because of that, you'll get his blessing. That maybe if I could just do this a little more, that maybe God will bless me a little more. But, but the blessing didn't come, and it has left you wondering, you know, what did I do wrong? I must have done something wrong here. And so you double down on the obedience, hoping that that's going to fix it, but it doesn't. And then someone comes along and says something like, well, you just got to have more faith, or you just have to believe more. But that just leaves you even more discouraged. And I'm sure Elizabeth had moments where she asked herself that question. She asked, what did I do wrong here? I've tried to live blamelessly my entire life. God, why have I not been blessed in this? And Luke wants to help point out there's something different going on here. They have, they've done things the right way. They're righteous in God's sight. Yet something else is going on here. And so the the story goes on like this. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Everybody's gathered, everybody's ready to go. And Zechariah's praying, he's in his old age. And look what happens, verse 11. It says, then an angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness to make ready a people prepared 
for the Lord. God sends this messenger, this angel to Zechariah to tell him, God's going to do something <coughs> amazing in your life, even when you are too old for it. Now, I can just imagine Zechariah. He's there, and he's this startling you know, thing happens. This angel shows up and says, you're going to have a baby. And let's just all be honest. Like, If you're like 70, 80 years old, and this message comes to you, the first thought in your head is, why couldn't have this happened when I was 20 and had the energy to chase the little baby around, right? Like, you know, I'm going to have to change diapers now? Like, really? Like, this is, I'm sure that was what was going through his head. Like, now? Right now? Like, really? Right now? But this messenger says, I want you to know God's going to do something miraculous in your life, Zechariah. And this messenger tells Zechariah, I want you to name him John. And that's an important name because the, the, the name John in Hebrew means Yahweh or God is gracious. It doesn't mean that God is um, going to give you what you earned. It doesn't mean God is going to get you what you worked for. It doesn't mean God is going to give you what you deserved or what you blamelessly went after. It means God is gracious. And grace is something you can't earn, you can't deserve, you can't work for. It's just a gift that God chose to give you. And John wasn't going to be any ordinary child or ordinary person. Notice what the, the messenger says. He says, he will go before the Lord in the spirit of Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John's job, his entire whole life, was to be wrapped up in preparing people for heaven on earth. That was his mission. His mission is to prepare people to meet Jesus. To prepare people for heaven right here on earth. And his message would be a very simple one. His message would be, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom is near. Heaven is near. And when Zechariah heard this, he would have immediately been drawn back to prophecies that were made concerning a forerunner who would come and prepare people for the Messiah. And so at, at some points in Zechariah's mind, he's probably excited, and at some points he's probably doubting, going, really? I don't get this. I don't understand this. Elizabeth finds out she's pregnant, and look what she says. Look at her response. The Lord has done this for me, she said. Notice, notice she doesn't say, the Lord has finally you know, give me what I've earned or worked for. No, no, she says, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he's shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This was huge for Elizabeth. It was huge for her. And God says, this is my grace for you. I'm about to do something amazing. Well, Elizabeth is actually a relative of Mary who finds out she's pregnant very near this time too in a very miraculous way. But we're going to save that for the rest of this series, okay? We're not going to go there today. That, you know, this is the rehearsal. This is the preparation point of the story. And so Zechariah has lost his ability to speak because he didn't believe the angel of God. He didn't believe the messenger of God. So, so all this time goes by. Elizabeth is pregnant. She finally, um, it's time for John to be born, and he's born. And when it comes time for them to take the baby to the temple and to be circumcised, which happens on the eighth day after um, the baby is born, the people at the temple ask 
them his name. What's his name going to be? And uh, Zechariah can't speak, and so Elizabeth speaks and says, um, his name is John. And the temple people question them. They say, well, that's, that's not right because no one in your family is named John. And it was very customary to name the child after someone in their family. And Zechariah gets a piece of paper and writes on it, his name is John, and puts it right in their face. His name is John. His name is God has been gracious to us. God is gracious to us. And immediately as he writes that and as he shows them that, he is able to speak again. And the people go nuts. They're like, he hasn't been able to speak for like nine months. He hasn't said a word. And now he is speaking again when he says and wrote this. And so they were baffled by this. Look at their reaction to this. It says, everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? What is this child going to be? Who is this kid? Why is this happening? How did Zechariah go from not speaking for nine months to all of a sudden now he's speaking full force because he named this son? For the Lord's hand was with him. And so Zechariah speaks up in that moment and he answers their question. He goes, you want to know who my son's going to be? This is who my son is going to be. Look at verse, uh, listen to verse 67. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. He's basically saying to them, Guys, heaven is near. Heaven on earth, God with us, is right around the corner. You want to know how I know that? Because I know who my son is going to be. You asked, who is this child going to be? Let me tell you who he's going to be. Look at verse 76. He says, and you, my child, speaking directly at John, you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. He says, I know exactly who my son is. You know who my son is? My son is the forerunner for the Messiah. My son is the person who's coming in the power and the spirit of Elijah to prepare people for heaven on earth. He's like, guys, heaven's near because that's who this child is. John's whole life would be this, to prepare the way for Jesus, to make a straight path for people to come to know and follow Jesus. See, John knew he wasn't the main thing. John's parents knew he wasn't the main thing. But John knew that his purpose was to ready people for the main thing to get them ready for the main thing, to prepare them for the main thing. And I, I'm sure his parents told him often, like, you want to hear the story of how you were born? There was an angel who came and told us about it. And they told us to name you this because this is what God did for us. And this is who you are. I'm sure they, they, he heard that all the time. But those details served as a reminder to both John and his parents that heaven is near. Heaven is near. But as I, I studied this story out, I, I began to wonder something. I began to wonder this. What if the miracle and the message 
somehow were to have gotten twisted. You know, what would have happened if Elizabeth and Zechariah became more focused on the miracle that took place in their life? The fact that God answered a prayer, the fact that God gave them a blessing, and they became so focused on the blessing and the miracle that they didn't pay attention to who John was going to be and what his job was to do and the message of what he was about to preach, that heaven is near. What if they would have been so focused on the miracle that they missed the Messiah? I started thinking about that. What would that have meant? The good news is they didn't. They didn't. Elizabeth said it. She said, God has done this for me. She understood. They loved God's blessing in their life, but they allowed it to serve its intended purpose. See, God's blessing on our lives, they, they can be rewards, but not always. You know, in their case, they understood something deeper, something more, um, what, what I would call a new covenant versus the old covenant thinking. They that Jesus would introduce years later. See, Old Covenant was this. It was, um, I do, therefore God does, right? And so I have to in, in do something in order to gain God's blessing in my life. But, but New Covenant thinking is something a little different. And Jesus would actually introduce this, and God introduces it through the birth of his son Jesus and who he would be. But here's New Covenant thinking. New Covenant thinking is this. It's that God did, and therefore I do. God is the one who does. He's not saying, hey, you have to earn it. You've got to work for it. He goes, no, no, no. It's about grace. It's about I did. And therefore, because God did, then we can go out and do likewise. See, we're blessed to be a blessing. And that was the purpose. See, what they understood was this. They understood that God's blessings aren't rewards for us for somehow being heavenly. For reaching up and saying, I did it. I accomplished it, but they are actually reminders to us that heaven came near. God's blessings on our life are supposed to be reminders to us about Jesus, about who he is. They're to point to him, not to be the main event, not to be the thing. And so they understood, don't allow the miracle <laughs> to get mixed with the message. Don't let that get twisted. Focus on the main thing, the message. The blessing of John to Elizabeth and Zechariah was forever to be a reminder that heaven was coming to earth and that heaven is near. The Messiah is here and your son is to proclaim that to the people. Get prepared. Get ready. The main thing of all of history is about to happen. That is the focal point. But I think it's pretty easy for us to get the miracle and the message twisted sometimes. And I think a lot of us can still um, think the old covenant way when it comes to trying to get God's blessings on our life. You know, I, I do, therefore God does, and so I better, right? Or um, if I'm not experiencing the blessings of God, it must be because I'm not doing something or I'm not doing enough. But the new covenant way that God introduced through the birth of Jesus and God, and that Jesus would introduce later on. The new covenant way, though, shows God did, so therefore I do. Where God's blessings aren't these behavioral rewards, but they are incarnational reminders to us of God is near. And so we can't get the miracle 
and the message twisted. We can't get the, the blessing to be the focal point when Jesus is supposed to be the focal point. We can't focus on the preparation and forget the main event. We can't get so focused on the blessings and forget about Jesus. The blessings in our lives that we receive, they need to serve as reminders to us about who Jesus is and point to Jesus. I had a mentor in college, his name was Dwight, and he, he said this to um, Sarah and I at our wedding, but he would say this to me often. He would say this, he said, even if God did nothing else for us, sending Jesus to die for our sins is enough. Jesus is enough. And I think a lot of times we can acknowledge that mentally, but we still go, well, God, but I still want this. I still want the blessing. I still want the miracle. And God's saying, no, no, don't get those things twisted. Jesus is the main thing. He's enough. Everything else is preparation leading you towards that or reminders that heaven came near. So here's the question that I started with. How does God want to stretch our hearts to live out Christmas differently this year? How does God want to do that by using this story and how does the story of John the baptizer fit into that? How can we continue um, to keep this message of the incarnation, God with us, central to our lives? Well, I want to offer two suggestions. Number one, I want to say this. Look for reminders all around you that God came near. Look for reminders around you that God came near. Maybe, maybe God's doing something in your life that serves as a reminder to you that God is, is near to you, that he, he cares about the details in your life. You know, maybe there's something that you've been praying for a long time that you're noticing God is starting to put some pieces together. He's starting to answer in a little way. Maybe it, it's not exactly the way that you wanted it to happen. Maybe it's not all the details falling, but you can see God is working. He's doing something there. And let that be a reminder to you. God is near. God came near. Help that point you to Jesus and who he is in your life. Maybe it's something that you're learning about God or who he is in your life. Those, those moments can serve as a reminder to us. God came near, that Jesus is enough, and they point back to him. So look for those. Be aware of those this Christmas season. And then secondly, I would suggest this. Ask God to prepare your heart for what Jesus has for you this Christmas. Ask God to prepare your heart for what Jesus might have for you. I think a lot of us just kind of let the Christmas season happen to us, if we're going to be honest here. You know, but what if we proactively asked God to prepare us for something this Christmas season? You know, what if we pray, God, God, I want you to teach me something new about you and your character through this Christmas season. You know, what if we prayed, you know, God, I, I know that you're working in my life in some way, shape, or form. Make me aware of those moments. Help me to have my eyes open enough to see those. I don't want Christmas just to happen to me. I want to be prepared for God, what you want to do in my life and what you're, you're working in my life. Help me to be aware of those moments. Help me to see those moments. Ask God to prepare your hearts for what Jesus wants to do in your life this Christmas. See, John's story serves as, as the beginning point to our story, you know, a preparation, a centering moment where we can begin to focus on the message of who Jesus is and why he came to earth. The blessing of his birth and uh, his life serve as a reminder to us. Heaven came near. 
Heaven is right around the corner. That Jesus came and he is enough. And it can remind you of that this Christmas season also. That, that heaven is near in your life as well. And so look for those reminders. And ask God to prepare you for something this Christmas season. Let's pray. God, we, um, we acknowledge that a lot of times we, um, we can get focused on different things, wrong things, and forget about the fact that your son Jesus is the focal point and he's enough. And so God, I pray that um, through this Christmas season that all of the other stuff and, and maybe even some people uh, here today who may be going through something difficult um, who are looking for the, the blessing to come down to be the thing. God, I pray that those would all just be reminders that Jesus is center, that he is enough, and he's the most important thing. God, I, I, I love the story of John because it's a moment where we can be reminded and be prepared that you wanted to do something amazing in this world, and so we need to get ready for it. So God, as we lean into this Christmas season right here at the beginning of it, our prayer is that we would be prepared for what you want to do and what you want to speak to us and what you want to mold in our lives. God, prepare us for what Jesus wants to do in each and every one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so um, we're going to be singing this song together uh, for the rest of... Um, this Advent season, Here Comes Heaven. It's a song we sang uh, when you walked in this morning, and it's a great way to cap off our day, um, being encouraged uh, with how we've been encouraged. So let's stand and uh, sing this together. Bro!
What an amazing thought. So as we leave here this morning, leave with the knowledge that heaven came near and he wants to come near to your life too. He wants to be near to the brokenhearted, to those who are celebrating, to those who are weeping, to those who need him the most. Heaven came near in the person of Jesus Christ. So go with that confidence today and go and ask yourself, what, can, what does God want to do in my life? And pray and ask God, God, what do you want to prepare me for this Christmas season? We love you guys. Thanks for being here.